Log Talk Radio. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. The punching left crew will now begin beaming their psychoanalytic mind-bending signal into your brain at 14,888 megahertz. Please prepare yourself for two hours of one-way helicopter rides for communists, degenerates and cucks. anti-fascist mob, the transvaluation of all values throughout the West, the invention of ever more victim groups, the spread of affirmative action programs, and the relentless promotion of political correctness has led to the rise of an anti-fascist mob, tacitly supported and indirectly funded by the ruling elites. This self-described mob of social justice warriors has taken upon itself the task of escalating the fight against white privilege through deliberate acts of terror directed against anyone and anything deemed racist, right-wing, fascist, reactionary, incorrigible or unreconstructed. Such enemies of progress are physically assaulted by the anti-fascist mob, their cars are burned down, their properties are vandalized, 
and their employers are threatened to dismiss them and ruin their careers. All the while the police are ordered by the powers that be to stand down and not to investigate the crimes committed or persecute and punish the criminals. In view of this outrage, public anger must be aroused and there must be clamoring far and wide for the police to be unleashed and this mob beaten into submission. History is on our side. Let them call you racist. Let them call you xenophobes. Let them call you nativists. Wear it as a badge of honor because every day we get stronger and they get weaker. David, as always, how are you doing tonight, David? Good, how are you? Pretty good. And we have a return from last season, first appearance in season two of Elliot. <clears throat> how are you doing tonight, Elliot? It's good to be here. <laughs> good. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. You always have fun conversations when we have you on here. Um, I guess you were in two or three, maybe it was four. You were quite a few quite a few episodes with us last season, so it's definitely good to have you back. Um, so tonight, I guess one of the one of the things that we want to talk about uh, pretty pretty much is there's a one of the things I've noticed in the last two to three years, it, it, it real, it's become very very bad, is all of the unsubstantiated uh, claims uh, against individuals for you know certain types of um, what I consider to be some of the manufactured offenses. Uh, some of them are, could be real offenses if they're true, but they're often unprovable. But the individual who is the target of the claims are are guilty, according to some people, unless proven innocent. So, uh, you know, we have, um, uh, for instance, one of the things that's, that's come out is the hashtag MeToo uh, movement. And they've, they've actually, I mean, there's been some guys that they've went after and taken down and those guys uh, deserved it. You talk about Harvey Weinstein and Matt Lauer and, and a bunch of others. I mean, just all over. So a lot of it was deserved, but then we have it being turned and used against some individuals uh, as a as a political weapon, uh, and, and in cases that are absolutely unprovable. And it's obvious that they're being used as a political club against uh, their opponents. Um, and in that case, uh, we could probably throw Brett Kavanaugh in there. Uh, and I know that this is a topic that, that kind of gets Elliot's gears wound up pretty tight. And so, you know, you get, <laughs> um, I, now I hear some, some strange background noise, guys. I don't know if you have anything going on in the background, but I'm hearing some very strange, almost like a reverb or an echo or I don't know what it is, something. Do you guys hear that? No. Did that change it at all? I tried going on mute and yeah. unmuting, so I'm seeing if it's on my end. Well, we'll see. We keep trying that. Um, so, Elliot, what is uh, what is your take on the Brett Kavanaugh situation? I mean, I think it's clearly, completely 
baseless claim. Um, that it just they're so obviously manufactured that it's it's painful, and it's it's really painful that it can have this much attention, and that it it almost appears as though the media itself has the ability to completely unmake or destroy someone without any evidence whatsoever, and to have the reach to go after a potential Supreme Court nominee is uh, almost unbelievable. Well, wouldn't you say that the media is out of control? I I would say that the the media is at open war with Western civilization. (laughs) It's It's a good way to put it. Um, David, where, where do you fall in on the on the um, uh, Brett Kavanaugh topic? I don't have cable, and I don't look at the news very much. Uh, I'm updated to what you uh, just what you guys have been talking about. But if anything, I know that the media is a uh, mal- malicious um, thing that that creates. Uh, Con- it creates controversy only for uh, for uh, for whites, right wingers, and uh, capitalists. So I'm gonna say that the media is probably unfairly attacking. So yeah, I, that, that's pretty right. And and you know, there's always you can always go out online and, and take a look at this stuff. Um, you know, and I I don't keep cable either. I just do a lot of reading online and, and check out a lot of different news sources. But you're pretty much on the money. I mean. <laughs> this stuff's been going on for so long You don't really need to read a whole lot About the Brett Kavanaugh situation To get a good idea of what's going on One of the things that I'll point out Is that they're extremely mad The Democrats in Congress and the left Are extremely angry um, About that I'll let you guys know It does. It almost sounds like there's an echo there Like like maybe I don't know if uh, anybody has a radio on In the background with the show playing Or anything like that That would make that noise But other than that Then it must be just our connection in general Because it is Block Talk Radio But um, uh, <clears throat> Blog Talk or I mean uh, Brett Kavanaugh uh, he, he, He's getting accused by people Who haven't, he hasn't seen in like decades And they're throwing you know, 30 and 35, 36 year old accusations at him and really what, what is horrible about it is that uh, they're, they're up in arms because they know that if, if this guy is placed on the Supreme Court, that the Republicans will not just have a majority. They'll have a supermajority uh, of Supreme Court justices who are what we call literalists, or uh, uh, there's, there's another term for it. But basically they, they try to interpret the Constitution and make rulings based on the intent of the, the writing in the Constitution at the time that it was written. As opposed to reinterpreting it now They don't subscribe to the Oh the constitution It's a living document garbage Because that's what it is It's a big fucking stinky it, load of garbage It's, it's trying, <clears throat> They're trying to filibuster By uh, using <clears throat> calumny Yeah Yes They're, they're basically what they're, What's going on is, is that They want to stop this guy From being placed on the Supreme Court And they, they're hoping that they'll take they'll take control of the House and the Senate in the midterms, and so they're trying to figure out a way, if they can, to delay the vote until after the midterms, in which case they'll reject him. 
if he gets placed on the court, what they're trying to do in <clears throat> that sense is they're trying to delay him past the end of this week. If he doesn't get confirmed by Friday, then he will not be allowed to make any rulings during this session, which is opening up next week of the Supreme Court. And then what they're hoping is, is if they can stop him from being confirmed, and then they take the House, or they, he gets confirmed, but he doesn't get to make any rulings, and then they take control of the House and Senate, then they can impeach him and kick him off the court. So either way, they're hoping to stop this guy from being able to make any rulings in the Supreme Court. They're, they're livid, because for the first time in 100 years, uh, the, the, uh, the people are actually going to be represented. The, 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 the vast majority of legal scholarship and the people themselves are actually going to be represented on the Supreme Court. The Constitution is going to be represented on the Supreme Court as opposed to this lame stinky, garbage-dump idea that the Constitution is a living document, which is essentially an excuse to try and rewrite the Constitution without going through the proper channels of going through it to make real changes to the Constitution. So, um, well, Elliot, I mean, what... Have you have you been paying any close attention to the to the Brett Kavanaugh deal in the last three or four days? Absolutely, and I think that um, you're pretty much on the nose there, or uh, from what I caught of what you were saying, that the Democrats' goal is to filibuster using sexual assault allegations, and I would imagine that they'll continue rolling out um, increasingly questionable sexual assault allegations, just any and all of them, because if you can pay, I don't know, any uh, any woman willing to do it, $100,000 through various channels to make an accusation against them, so long as they can make the vaguest accusation because they one time met him in a bar in Tucson, or, you know, anything, then they can continue to put pressure there that are, how do you defend against that? You can't. You can't have a record of every second of your life especially without having a recorder around your neck at all times. Well, I, I think that that, that's a, that brings up another thing. Uh, you know, these are 35, 36-year-old allegations, and this guy was in high school. So what they're saying, though, now is that <clears throat> not only should we revisit 35, 36-year-old unprovable claims against a, a minor – but let's just say, for instance, that some of this stuff actually took place. Let's say it actually happened. All right, so what they're saying is, is that, I mean, that he, should not, he should be disqualified to be a judge based on something that happened 36 years ago when he was a child. Yes, that's what they're saying. And <clears> – <throat> This is, I, in my opinion, this has went too far. Uh, when you have members of Congress taking tax, uh, uh, setting aside taxpayer money to pay off sexual harassment, rape allegations, and other types of, of claims against them, claims that are actually real claims that have evidence and are recent claims, and then they're going to pull this kind of – and most of them were Democrats, by the way that had these claims made against them that were using taxpayer money to pay off these people to make them go away. These were mostly Democrats. So when you – and these very same people are the ones that are throwing a fit 
about 35, 36-year-old claims against someone who's going to be confirmed as a judge, something that he may or may not have done when he was – well, and the chances are, based on everything I've seen so far, he didn't do. They have no evidence that he did it. Uh, they're going to they're gonna go after him, ruin his entire career over something he did as a child. And, and all the evidence, all the witnesses that have been called forth by, uh, by Christine Ford, every single one of them have, have failed to provide testimony that backed her up. As a matter of fact, they have all actually said they don't remember the day in question, that there was even a party on that day. And they, have, they don't remember anything like that happening. She said nothing to nobody, not even her best friend who mentioned that at the time. Her best friend at the time says, well, she never told me about it. So nobody knows about it but her. Some party that appears to be imaginary, a party that never happened, and all of her witnesses claim that they don't know anything about it. They don't even think a party happened that night. And this is six witnesses, by the way, not just one or two. So I'd say we have a serious issue here with our government. We're essentially our government is malfunctioning. I mean, that's that's my opinion. David, do you do you kind of get that sense that we have some serious problems here, that 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 the Democrats are uh, uh, basically breaking government. They're breaking our system of government. Yeah, it's just like really frustrating. Uh, what what's that? Hey. You got a little muffled there. There, there. It's really, it's really frustrating. Uh, yeah, I was, I was like uh, thinking about it today, and yeah, the demo, the Democratic Party is just uh, responsible for a bunch of uh, Alinskyite tactics, and they're responsible for uh, by pitching unfalsifiable stuff to. America in the past that uh, they're still doing it and they're, for some weird reason they're still succeeding and they uh, they put us on a fast track to where um, mostly them uh, some Republicans Republican support a good chunk of Republican support uh, people who are who weren't really Republican uh, they uh They've put us on a fast track to uh, a place to where an economic system to its where it's outside of capitalism into uh, uh, modern Keynesian theory, and we're just not. Uh, it's going off on the tangent, but they've no, it's fine. They've put they've put they put us on on this on this fast track to insanity. The culture's going insane. The economic system is insane. So it's it's really no surprise that our government's going insane, right? Yeah. What was that, Elliot? I heard you back. You started to say something. Yeah, I was going to say, if I had to make a guess on the the multi-action of what they're going for here, one, they're setting a lot of precedent that – They've done this, I think, with Clarence Thomas as well. Um, so they, I feel like they did this with Roy Moore. I feel like it's becoming a default course of action that if you're a male Republican running against them, 
they're going to dig up sexual assault claims against you regardless of what you do. Um, on top of that, I think that they have no no real platform right now. They have Maybe someone could debate me on that, but at this point it looks like that if they were able to delay this to November, they would then be able to energize or hope to energize their base using this and try to stir up as big of a scare about him taking away abortion or some other hot-button issue that they could get their base motivated to vote for them and otherwise engage in what otherwise looks to be uh, it's not a slam dunk. I mean, I've, I've been hearing a lot about a blue wave, but it, it seems like it, it's a stalemate um, at the most optimistic uh, from a Democrat perspective, ways of looking at things. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I think one of, the, one of the problems that we have, and I, you're, you're right on the money when you say that they don't have a platform. They haven't had one for a little while. Uh, they're they're intellectually bankrupt at this point. They're, they've fallen back on the, I mean, Democratic Party's pretty much Commie Party USA. They've fallen back on socialism because they don't have any other platform to go to. That's the only thing that's gotten them any traction with anybody. And so they're they're becoming more and more radical. They know that they're in trouble. They're in trouble politically. The country does not reflect their views. They think it does, and in some of the larger cities with certain minority groups, it has reflected their views. And largely it has reflected their views because people have forgotten about all the good that Reagan did. I've actually talked to younger people about, about Reagan, and one of the things that, uh, that's happened is you go back and you look at a lot of the things that have been written the last 25 years about Ronald Reagan. It's been written by a very, very left-leaning press who have done everything they can to try and damage – and obfuscate what he's done, what he did, and try and make it look as though that he actually did more harm than good to the economy back then. And it couldn't be further from the truth. From someone who was alive at the time, I didn't get to vote for him because I was too young to vote. But I saw it. I watched it happen. I was interested in politics even as a teenager. Uh, they have they have they have completely uh, scammed the youth in this country into believing that Reagan. Was, was bad for the country. He was a bad president. His economic policies were terrible, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Couldn't be further from the truth. He single-handedly pulled us out of one of the, the worst economic situations we've been in in 50 years, and, and he pretty much turned the United States around, and Clinton rode his, his economy, rode the Reagan economy into about 2000 when the dot-com bust occurred. So all the tax cuts mm-hmm. and regulations cutting that Reagan did. Yeah, he well he wrote on it. He wrote on that economy. He wrote on all the tax cuts and re- deregulation that Reagan did during the '80s. And uh, when they started instituting regulation pretty heavily again towards the end of Clinton's term and the beginning of Bush's term, is when you started seeing more problems because you started seeing bank regulations. There's a correlation between the Glass-Steagall Act and some of the uh, financial regulation they put in place because of the savings and loan scandals that the democrats and the rhino Repu- you know the rhinos the establishment republicans were were involved in in particular john mccain was deeply involved in that scam uh they uh 
and that, so there's no it's not a it's not a coincidence that we start having economic problems after they put in place more financial regulation. The point is is that what's happened now is they knew that when they got a guy in who was talking like Reagan did in 1980, he was going to come in and do the try Ronald Reagan did. They knew that a whole new generation of people were going to see that stuff put into action and actually see that it worked. And there is nothing that scares Democrats more than somebody who's not a Democrat that's going to come in and cut taxes and cut regulations and let and turn the economy loose because it shows everybody how wrong the Democrats are. They're afraid they don't want to have to have another Bill Clinton type presidency where the where the Democratic president typically doesn't want to get too involved in the economy if he can help it. And we know that if, if Trump is successful, the only way the Democrats are going to get back into power is to stop talking socialism again and to go back to a a what, what they would consider a moderate Democrat on economics. Uh, and that's what's happening. They're getting schooled, and this generation's getting schooled in economics. The, Trump's numbers with African Americans, with uh, Hispanics, and all the minority groups that have been hardcore socialists for the last 15 years and screaming for socialism, including a lot of millennials, they're starting to their shift starting to turn. They can see the difference, and, and they're starting to become convinced. I, I watched a guy did interviews with a bunch of people on campus. And uh, asking students about whose whose economy this was, and whether it was Obama's or it was Trump's, they all uh, talked about having distaste for Trump's communication style, for his his uh, policies. But they all said that he knew what he was doing on the economy, and this was definitely Trump's economy. So this is what the Democrats are scared shitless over. They're shitting their pants. As Negan off of Walking Dead said, I hope you got your shitting pants on. Yeah, they better be wearing their brown pants because the whole situation with what's been going on with the economy and how regulations cost money, period. They cost money in two different directions. They cost money to implement, labor to maintain, and a bureaucracy to manage. Well, so three or more ways. Uh, Sorry like the Inquisition, you just keep listing off ways. But, <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't get David going on the Inquisition. You might get in trouble. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I said uh, last night, I said, someone told me before um, that um, they believed that uh, parts that they believed in uh, parts of communism, and that doesn't make them a communist. And I said, I believe in parts of the Inquisition, too. And you're next. <laughs> Sorry, I was drinking something when I, you said that. Uh, go ahead, Elliot. <laughs> you said this cuts many different, no, several you're, different you're ways. You're good. I, I, uh, I got a little derailed there. But, yeah, I know. Uh, I just um, – Yeah, no, I think with the, uh, if there's if people come out and start seeing how an economy that isn't chained with regulation does, because the regulations are essentially taxes, right? They're they're taxes against uh, small businesses being able to successfully implement them. They're barriers of entry into the market. They 
there's so many different ways that regulations cut into our economy that the more you get rid of, that you can reasonably get rid of, right? Because you can get rid of every regulation. There, there are some that are there for very good reason. But I think that Trump's plan to make for every new regulation implemented, two regulations removed, is just a masterstroke. Because that's making people dig through and find all the trash regulations and throw them away. And there's, there's a codex of them. Well, and really, you know, if you, show, if you show me a heavily regulated industry, I'll show you an industry that has very little competition and has some serious monopolies. Um, Absolutely. You, you can't – yeah, because what, one of the things that people don't understand about regulations and big corporations – is that big corporations are already spending a lot of money on handling regulations. They have an entire departments usually. They have entire departments devoted to doing paperwork and making sure they're compliant with regulations already. And so it's nothing to just add another person to do a little more paperwork for them. But if you take a tiny company with 40 or 50 people and then they have to make that jump to all of a sudden we're regulated now, well, now you got a problem. So it's an issue. You know, because they, that's a hey, huge hey, expense because now they've got to create the infrastructure. So, and I have somebody joining the call too, by the way. But uh, uh, someone said, well, "Hey, I was going to tell a joke real quick." Um, what's the difference between a uh, controlled economy and a heavily regulated one? I don't know. Tell me what you're calling it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. So I've got somebody online who called in. Hi, this is uh, Danny. Oh, Danny, you've been a guest on the show before. What's going on? Uh, I've heard you guys talking about the Democrats. And uh, there's a couple the, the of Democrats? Guys. Yeah, the Democrats. We're going to uh, start D-U-M-B? using that whether you all like it or not. Yeah, D-U-M-B, Democrats. Democrats. Yeah. <laughs> I have another name for him that I've heard is uh, Shit Lib. Shit Libs, that works too. I like that. So, so okay. what's on your mind, Danny? So, you guys, I'm I'm enjoying the topic this evening, but one of the other things that you guys might be leaving out is one of the other things that really has pissed off the, the Democrats is is somebody has come in. And taken away their free money. He somebody mm-hmm. has come in and shut the door on a lot of cash flow to a lot of Democrats. And mm-hmm. they one of the things that they want to do is roll back his tax change. We're all enjoying our our little bit more money in our checks. I'm sure I don't know how many people admit to noticing it, but I notice it. And Nancy Pelosi herself has said, I want my cheddar back. The sooner we can impeach Trump, the sooner I can get my cheddar back. Well, and that's true. The, you know, One of the things you have to look at is that the way that he's handling China, there's a lot of Democrats and a lot of establishment Republicans getting, getting a little extra cheddar from the Chinese government in order to maintain those policies that are favorable to them and unfavorable to us. It's not just that. It's control over, over – so trade. You look at uh, Joe Biden went to China right before Obama left office and uh, came back, and within a few months, his son had a $12 billion deal with the People's Bank of China. 
Um, but believe it or not, I mean, that's just crazy right? stuff. What's that? That was just coincidental? That was coincidental. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just It was coincidental that he went and then he came back and had that. Yeah, of course. And it was yeah. the last trip they made, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so well, yeah. yeah. So, so a lot of the things that Trump does is, is he's he's stopping people from selling out America to enrich themselves. Is what he's doing. So and the thing I is, is, I think we're point. getting like exorcism scene one because we haven't even seen anything yet. And if we ever, if if we get a second term that's like just a blood red second term of just all Republicans and he tries to go after the Federal Reserve. Oh man, that'll be popcorn worthy. Well, I mean, I, I gotta be honest guys. I do not believe I, I, okay. So coming into the election, every single, all of these uh, polls, polling data is all saying, Oh, Hillary's just, it's going to be a landslide for Hillary. Right now, all the polling data say, oh, yeah, his, his points are down. His approval rating's down. 12-point lead for Democrats to take Congress back. They're doing it all over again. And I honestly – I don't believe people are going to listen again. I think we're going to see the same thing again. I think that they're – even if they gain some seats, I don't believe they'll gain enough to take the House. I don't believe they'll get control of the Senate because even if it was 50-50 in the Senate, Mike Pence is the deciding vote on anything. He's number 51. That's what the president and vice president does. I just don't believe they're going to get control of the Congress this year. And I think if they don't, and as I've said in other episodes, uh, if they don't get control of Congress, you can bet your bottom dollar he's going to get reelected in 2020. And if he gets reelected in 2020, Republic, the Democratic Party's done. You can stick a fork in it. It'll be a. It'll be. They'll have to have a whole new generation of Democrats come in before they can get back in the White House or get control of any of the branches. To go. And and what's worse for them, when that type of stuff has happened, they've always been able to fall back on the Supreme Court. Well, guess what? We just took it away from them, and we're getting ready to cement that with a seventh conservative Supreme Court justice. So, right. David, do you, what do you think about that? What, what was that, this, David? Well, yeah, I think I think we 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 pretty much shut them out. We're gonna there's a chance they're gonna get completely shut out of government in the next four years. What do you what's your feeling about that? Since we own since we the the conservatives pretty much own the court now, the Supreme Court, and they're getting ready to cement that ownership. Uh, it, it, real good likelihood, in my opinion, that they'll retain control of the House and Senate and the White House, and they're gonna shut Democrats out. What do you think about that? You there? Hopefully, it'll be a return to what we had in the what we kind of had in the '80s and better. Better, yeah, I agree. Danny, what do you think? Oh, um, the one thing I think we're all well, not all. The one thing I think maybe you're not thinking about is the land of dirty tricks that the Democrats have in their playbook. They they started off practicing it, you know, they started off back with Carter. And then, you know, they played with Reagan some. And then as we came up, they got the media more involved. They paid them off more. And just like the rest of you earlier in your call, it's all convinced with just throwing information out there. When And it just gives an overwhelming amount of stuff that people are tired of listening to. So it's very plausible if you think, that only 20% of the people in the United States vote. Okay, that's the first thing that's, that's kind of bad. The other thing is 
of those people that vote, how many people just kind of are tired, are getting tired of hearing everything on both sides? How many people are going to go? I've heard several people on a couple of other talk radio shows today that says, you know what? I'm just tired of voting. I'm just not going to do it. So I don't know. I would like to say, yes, I think we have a really good shot at shutting it all down and totally getting our country back. I mean, we brought it back from bankruptcy, which Obama was trying to get it more or less along with uh, Greece to bankrupt. So then the Democrats could come in, look like the Knights on, you know, a white stallion and save America. Look, we did this. Um, Mm -hmm. I I don't, I don't bypass the ignorance of most of voters. And that's horrible for me to say, but when I say ignorance, I mean it in the actual term, you know, like the difference between stupid and ignorant. Stupid is, is when you do something, ignorant is when you do something, but you don't know it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of ignorant voters out there. Elliot, I'll pass well, it to I, you. I, 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 well, I don't disagree with you. I just I, I think that we're in a situation where the people who voted for Trump, I believe, are probably going to vote again in the next several elections. And the reason I say that is because they were hammered with negative press for two years. They've been hammered anti-Trump prior to that election, told there was no way in hell that he was ever going to win. People laughed at him, called him bumpkins, rednecks, degenerates, inbreds, you name it. And the, and the little hobbits came out and voted. The hobbits decided to show up, and they voted, and Hillary lost. And so I think we're back in that situation. I don't know. I mean, it's just, just yeah, where I mean, I'm coming from. But. I, I, think, I think that's also spot on myself. I think that, I mean, we already connected with a, a Hail Mary pass that was basically for – the survival of the republic, in my opinion, because there would have been no return for the Hillary Clinton. So, yeah, at this yeah, point, I agree. It, um, it's just a question of can we keep up the momentum? And uh, I think the other thing to keep in mind is that Trump isn't a normal politician. And as president of the United States of America, he has the ability to classify any document within the entire federal bureaucracy. And so if he weaponizes that, and Lord knows that Democrats have weaponized literally everything we've discussed, including our own intelligence, then potentially that's enough to uh, put up the sleeve to keep the Democrats out of office. Um, or he could, he could have a, a very impressive October surprise, is, is what I'm saying. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out anything yet um, in terms of getting people motivated and curious with the situation, um, because it, it's ridiculous. I mean, uh, just about every single thing has been weaponized against conservatives, from IRS to Google to the CIA to FBI to the five eyes, everything weaponized against conservatives. It's ridiculous. Yeah, no, I I don't I don't disagree. I think I think you're 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 giving pretty good analysis. The, the the problem I think is is that the whole the whole establish the establishment media 
is so dead dead set on trying to destroy uh, any sort of conservative government at all. Uh, they, they're and they've been pretty successful up until this last election, and that's really I mean it's always it's been my opinion that it's less necessarily about Trump in many ways, and what it really is is more about them losing control and trying to reestablish control. And at this point, they're doing everything they can, whatever it takes, whoever they've got to destroy, in order to try and show that they have some semblance of control. You know, trying to find a footing somewhere. So. Uh, we just have to wait and see on that, but um, you know it's kind of crazy stuff. And David, you and I were having a conversation the other day, uh, or well, really it's yesterday, and um, I think we kind of were discussing whether we think that the United States can be can can be rolled back to where it was, whether it can be fixed or not, whether it's whether it's salvageable. What's your position on that is, at this point? I mean, is is anything that Trump's doing? Is it, is he all he doing is buying us some time, or is it actually is, are things salvageable at this point from your view? Um, if if you think things are salvageable, you might want to cover your ears. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a spoiler there, right? So so what is your what is your position on that then? Why do you feel like it's not salvageable? Uh. The left has infiltrated so much of American society and its institutions that the idea of uh, free money and, peop- and we won't get rid of way of welfare unless we have a, a violent reset. And that's, that would be the only thing, but I don't see a reset in the foreseeable future. However, I think there will, it, there will have to be some sort of coup violent in, violence to happen in order to the system that we would like it, it, there's no escaping that so so what you're saying is is that basically you feel like that it's going to require an armed revolution in which we had when you say reset do you mean reset back to the constitu- back to a purely constitutional form of government or to something more basic or or what are you what are we talking about a violent revolution to reset to um something uh uh, like maybe the uh, Constitution, uh, we we've lo- we've seen it as a uh, document, but it it gave it gave rise to legislative law. Uh, I'm I tend to be uh, fan of going to something like a like a common law setup to where we can't give. Uh, free speech to people who are ideological enemies of the culture, such as communists. Right. So, so basically, we should have free speech, but there should be a point where you have to you have to look at what what they've been able to do with it. They've they've turned our own liberal institutions, such as free speech, freedom of religion, and and et cetera, et cetera. They've turned all that, so to speak, against us and used it to cause damage to the republic, as it were. Is that what you're saying? I, yeah. I disagree with that assessment. I think that we're winning the war of free speech. That's the whole point of why Google and all these other things are being censored. If our voices weren't getting through and winning the arguments, they wouldn't need to censor us. We are winning. 
Well, I think I think when David's talking about it, I think he's talking about on the long-term game. I think in the short-term game, yeah, I think that you're seeing we're making progress right now. But I think in but the long-term game, the, the right 50 of, to 100 years. And, and the collapse of um, what's that called, critical theory, I, I think that it's becoming more and more dis- discredited and we're seeing an underlining change in the zeitgeist. And I think that communism is experiencing its true death throes and okay. that it was a new and hip concept that could be sold to people as something to believe in. And it's becoming well, tired, tattered, and uh, stale. Well, okay, but what about – I mean, we thought this too when the Soviet Union collapsed and the Berlin Wall came down. But what about – I mean, here we are 25 years later, or we're giving up on 30 years, and we're starting to see a resurgence of people in the United States of all places who were talking about we don't, we've never had real socialism. We want socialism. We hate capitalism. Well, where is it coming from? Millennials. Who's the young paying people. for it? But who's paying well, for it? Well, China. in the end, China what matters is, is who, right. But I'm saying, in the end, what matters is who wants it and how many people want it versus how many people but, don't. I think where a lot of this is coming out of is a Soros camp. He's the guy with the deep pockets. He's the guy that's paying protesters. You know, I mean, you take a group of people that feel that they're disenfranchised and because the world owes them something because they've been spoiled brats, and then you have the behind and go, hey, here's a bunch of money. I want you to do this. Oh, wait. We don't have to work and you're going to pay us to go shit? Sweet. <laughs> yeah, he's paying them to stir up shit, isn't he? Well, that's exactly what Soros has been doing. Where, where did it all start? You guys remember the, the New York City thing? Um, that That's when he starts throwing really big money. And then... Well, okay. And then, there, and then there was the carpet thing. I mean, Danny, with all that, I mean, aside, though, I mean, even so, it's still, I mean, it still doesn't answer the question. And the, the question is, do you think in the long term, 50 years, 100 years down the road, that we're already screwed? We've went, we've went too far, or, and this is just a short-term deal that we're making some progress in the here and now, but 20, 25 years, we'll start going back the other direction. And in the long term, we're, we've already screwed the pooch. I mean, what, what's, your, what's your position you, on that? Is your position that, that we can turn it back then? Hang on a second, Cliff. We're going to hear uh, Kimmy right. has something she needs to say. If oh. we keep this <laughs> college, they are going to turn into communists. What'd she say, Danny? If they keep what? If they keep sending kids to college, we're going to keep turning out communists. Well, we can't stop having higher learning institutions, though. I mean, we have to have colleges. I think the problem is who's teaching the classes, so, not necessarily the So can you give me, like, just uh, – I'm going to have to drop off here before too late, too long, but I would – if you'll give me a, a small tirade, I want to say a, a little bit of my piece on this. Um, All right. So well, go ahead and have your – go ahead and do it. Let's, let's, everybody step back. Let's have a little bit of a Elliot rant. So in my opinion – the there's there's multi-prong uh, basically attacks um, against our culture and it's coming from a Chinese culture that very much wants to weaken American institutions, bribe them, etc., to try to get as much intellectual property 
and value as they can from us and indoctrinate as much and uh, indoctrinate the American people as much as they can against any foundations that would resist Chinese interests. And that's in their own interest. It makes sense to do, right? So you're going to have that, and that's coming in in huge numbers into our university. And so that's coming in through university visas, et cetera, uh, student visas, et cetera, that maybe we need to take a good look at the Chinese manipulating our universities and take a look at our immigration policy, which almost all of this will come back to immigration. Um, and then you have the schools basically having state funding when they're doing wild, crazy, in my opinion, behaviors, that if people want to have any sort of say over the school, they shouldn't be funded by, and I say the state, not like the state um, proper, but like the state is in the concept of the state, right? We shouldn't be receiving federal or state funds of any kind if they're um, basically just an indoctrination center. And so there has to be some measure of control that we place on our universities, and it's not outside of the realm of reason to be able to exercise some control over them. Um, on top of that, it doesn't have to be total control. Free speech is fine, but the thing is is that conservative voices aren't being allowed in, and so that needs to be the measuring stick, right? There needs to be a, are conservative voices allowed here? Is free speech actually being allowed here? If not, this is what needs to be where we need to go on the offensive, because that's going to be a weak point where people are absolutely going to be sympathetic to the cause of free speech. And so you push hard on that point. You make a point that you're the one being silenced, that you're the one being shut out, and that they're the ones behaving like totalitarian twits. And then you keep making that push in the culture war. And totalitarianism isn't a pretty look. It's not going to win you votes. Well, and I, and anyway. I, mean, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I, I don't disagree with any of that. I just, I think that, you know, in the short term, I, I, I kind of fall in line with David to a certain degree. I think in the short term, we're making progress. I, I do actually believe that we've went beyond the point of return, uh, and I don't think that that there's anything that can change that now at the point we're at. Uh, I think that academia, uh, which the, uh, Danny Cindy mentioned, and, um the news media and our bureaucracy and the executive branch of the government is so far along. It's in so bad shape. It's been in our schools, our public schools. I mean, it's not just the, the uh, colleges that are turning out, cranking out communists. Well, not public schools. By the time they leave public school, one? they're indoctrinated heavily. I'm just saying, by the time they get out of public school, they're indoctrinated heavily. They believe all kinds of falsehoods. Absolutely. But I'd also say, you know, maybe we should be a little sympathetic to students, too, is that all they've ever known is being dependents. This is a group of people that are very young, and all they've ever known is being dependents. So it does make sense for very young people to go towards socialism because they don't – they literally don't know any better. They can't know any better because all they've ever known is dependents. And so the idea of being dependent on the state is going to be a somewhat natural one. You have to learn to come into your own. And so while I get that there's a lot of huge frustration with 
universities for being communist havens. I think that that's kind of a natural state for them. What I think the real problem is is that conservative voices aren't allowed there. Well, but the, but the public schools are a problem too. Oh, absolutely. The, the public schools, you know, and, and that's, that's the thing is for you, you to go to college and get yeah, you, you have to set the foundation the, the, so that they can they can reach for other ideas other than just dependence. Well, well, one thing I will say is I think that one of the problems is that we work off the notion that we're still under the original constitutional republic. Like the United States was when Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, John Adams, those guys were all around, and we're not. That That nation with that form of government ended in the Civil War. That there's the government that we have now is not the same government. Uh, that government that was and the, the government we had under had a right ended in FDR. That's right. Well, I don't know. I I, I think that uh, it, it, FDR it was, like a logical, a third was a logical. Entry. Well, well, I would say that FDR and LBJ are the logical iteration. They're, when you have a guy like Lincoln, you're going to get an FDR. You're going to get an LBJ. You're going to get a Barack Obama down the road. Because all they did was was proceed further with Lincoln's own policies, just writ large, larger. What's next? What's um, next? The Karl Marx? <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, seriously. I mean, you got people like Ocasio Cortez. But I mean, to be to be blunt, I, I think that we're working off the premise. We're working off the premise that we have a, we have the constitutional republic that was founded in 1776, and we do not. That that was those that particular federal government allowed the states they had the states had the power to secede from the union, and they had um, they had certain powers and authority. They they actually were able to appoint senators who, by the way, or who do the confirmation for the Supreme Court, and then when the Supreme Court would make rulings on what divides state and federal power, they people would not get confirmed to the Supreme Court that would take the federal court the federal government side. Unconstitutionally against the states, which has happened multiple times in the last 150 years. So, so we have a system of government that is nothing like the Constitution actually calls for. And, and I think I think you're right, Cliff. But I still think that it's these small groups, Antifa, um, Anonymous, um, Black Lives Matter. Um, Nation of Islam, Occupy Wall Street, um, the New Black Panther Party. I think them being funded, all of them, matter of fact, are being funded by Soros, along with, you know, hands up, don't shoot people, Hillary Clinton, and there's lots and lots of people that if you put enough of these groups out there that say that there's a problem, you're going to get this with that. And I think what it is, is yeah, I mean, the people are causing most of these problems. I think if you put that money and these groups out of it, everybody go, hey, wait, this isn't that bad, please. Hey, guys, I'm going to have well, to drop off. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, I figured that. Uh, thanks, Elliot, for being on the show. We really appreciate having you. Thank you. We'll have you back again sometime, Bye. I hope. Take care. So, so, and I, and I mean, I don't disagree with you, Danny. I just, I think that, that I'm not a huge fan anymore. I mean, as, as someone who looks back at, at, at our system, uh, we have a constitution 
that essentially has not really stopped a whole lot of things. I mean, it stopped no. some things that I've seen some things that were stopped recently that you still see going on in, in Europe. For instance, uh, they tried to get hate speech laws passed in the United States, and they were ruled unconstitutional. So it did kind of stop some of that. But what's happened is, is when that failed, they turned to large corporations, which are just full to the brim of leftists. Wouldn't wouldn't you say that, David? I mean, they're just chock full of, of Marxists and, and degenerates. Yes. They don't re- they don't reciprocate. Uh, they don't reciprocate uh, rights. They don't reciprocate property rights. Um, we can't share a culture with them, and it's been evident. Yeah, and these guys are running big, giant corporations. That's us. Yeah. Danny, you were asking something. You said, who is what? Oh, I've been trying. I've been sitting here trying to think. There was a president that, I don't know if it was Lyndon Johnson or who it was, but there's a president that said if we pass the bill, we'll have the a certain group of people voting for us for a hundred years. Mm. Um, it was LBJ. I, was it LBJ? He was talking. He was talking about black people too. They want to talk well, about I, people that have racial prejudice and racial bias. He was one of the most racially prejudiced individuals to ever hold high office. So, and Cindy found this because she's just like a George Soros kid tonight. This is a quote. I have made it my life's mission to destroy the United States. I hate this country, and I hate all the people with it. George Soros, Newsweek, 1979. Oh. It didn't surprise me. In the 1980s, the, the 80s, you know, they were bad, basically, um, and then things have slowly started slipping out of control. Could this be part of what you guys are talking about, the, the no well, turnaround? I think that Soros is one element of a vaster bunch, a much larger group than just one guy. He's just one guy. But if if you turn around and you look at the system that's in place, we have a system of cor- giant corporations that depend on international labor and international immigrants who come to this country unwanted. They're economic migrants. They're not refugees. They right. want them to come in, get them on welfare as soon as possible so they'll start spending that money and spending money on their products, and that's what it's all about. Oh. And and the you're, if you're thing, fighting uh, you're fighting their money as well. You're fight you're fighting your own corporations. We have well, so, the reason our trade deficit is so big, and it's been going for so long, is because it's fueled by government handouts. Who do you think's buying all those cheap Chinese products? Well, yes, but also the other side of this is, like you said, with immigration. This is why certain groups of people don't want anything done with the borders. Because that right. – they think that because they're in here, if we can get those people's citizenship, then they'll vote Democrat, and that gives the Democratic Party more power, along with – Well, they're right. All the stuff you're talking about. Yeah. Well, it, the immigration attorneys 
I think David, you and I were talking about this uh, several times over the last several weeks. There's a whole industry out there, but in, in particular, this is the thing. I had that that short that debate with Anthony Samaroff uh, over free open over free trade, unfettered free trade, even with countries that don't that don't free trade reciprocate free trade principles. I remember that. And okay, well, the the problem here is, and this is what uh, guys like Anthony failed to notice or see that they're right. I mean, there, there's some truth in what Anthony said about not having tariffs. Long-term, they're typically bad for a country. Also, the other issue is is that um, it is kind of good sometimes to have trade to have a trade deficit with other countries. The problem is is this the difference between an acute or short-term trade deficit versus an, a chronic or long-term trade deficit. And when you've got a trade deficit that's been lasting for 70 years, that's highly damaging. You know, but but sometimes you know a five to ten year trade deficit. Well, that's not that bad because it writes the ship and fixes some things, and and it's comp- it's competition. The reason we have a seventy year, eighty year trade deficit that's just going on and on and you know forever, is that it's government funded. We're we're using government funds and government orders, like for the military buying equipment, buying things for the government, as well as handouts to poor people. And to you know, economic migrants and all these different groups that come in, we're getting them all on welfare, and we're using that money, uh, and and employing lots of federal employees, and essentially that the reason we're able to maintain this massive government uh, trade, this massive trade deficit for so long, is that it's government spending fueled, uh, and they do that by printing and borrowing money, and and buying all this stuff, and and what they're essentially doing with the migrants. By giving them all this welfare, is they're forcing those of us who are paying the taxes to basically buy more products than we actually – and since we don't need the products, they're giving them to somebody else. So they're making Americans buy more by taxing us and uh, inflating our currency and so on in order to buy all these cheap products from overseas. Those countries, those companies, those nations, they don't want it to stop. They're getting rich off of it at our expense. We're going into the debt. They're damaging our economy. That's what he. So, that's that's what this t- system has done to us. So, are you? How much of this do you think? I have just two statements that I'll set back with you and David. How much sure. of this do you think has to do um, with our political parties and policies? And then the other side of the question is: is I believe what Trump is trying to do in the long run. Is to totally of all tariffs altogether. Do you think it is? Do you think that would benefit everybody in the world a lot better if there nobody had any tariffs? And then, what's your opinion on the geopolitical side of of this, as far as our politics? Well, first of all, no tariffs, no tariffs, and absolute unfettered free trade on all sides fair trade, however you want to call it, is good for everybody except for those who hold power in governments. Because when governments are able to pass laws and do restrictions, uh, that gives politicians the ability to go to, to, to do special favors for people, for, con- for nations or for corporations. That gives them the ability to extort money out of these, these groups. So like, you know, oh yeah, I know we have a 25% tariff, on steel, 
let's say we've had it for 80 years, and I know you want to sell steel in the U.S. market, and I'm a politician. Well, I'll go to bat for you. Even though I'm a politician, I'll lobby with the other politicians on your behalf. You just make sure you make it lucrative for me, and this is what's been going on. This is how we've gotten to the situation we are is where our politicians are basically don't belong to us anymore. They belong to foreign companies and global corporations. Um, so unlimited, unlimited trade is good for us as long as it's done with other free market actors, not with communists, nationalized industries. Government-owned and government completely 100% government-controlled industries, they should always be tariffed, always. They should never be allowed – to uh, flood our markets with cheap goods ever under any circumstances. But all – I don't care where you're from in the world. If it's a private business, an actual true private business, it should be allowed to trade freely. But if you're a government-owned company like China, most of their corporations are government-owned, no, they should be tariffed. Any communist, any socialist-owned enterprise should always be tariffed. And it shouldn't be tariffed. It shouldn't add. They shouldn't be adding cost necessarily to the price of the good when it hits the shelves here. They should be paying port duties. So they should have to pay to even drop the goods into our ports. But uh, – and as far as the politicians and stuff go and the policies, as long as we have a government that is powerful enough to give you whatever you want, whatever that may be, well, they'll all, they'll be powerful enough to take everything away from you as well. And that's where we are now. We have a government that's powerful enough to give us most everything we want and powerful enough to take most everything we, we have away. So, David, are you still out there? Yes. Yeah. All right. So so where do you come down on, on tariffs and and, and Free trade principles and stuff. You can't trade with people who uh, are communists without capping, without putting a tariff. And we can't uh, uh, we can't be, as Nietzsche would put it, follow it like a slave morality when when it comes to tariffs. Uh, when people tariff us, uh, oh we. We can't. We get to sue the world of principally, principally or economically by not tariffing them. But what we're just going to take it up, up the rear and get, get screwed. So let's just get tariffed and look, look, just look good, and not, not do anything about it. So you, you feel that we should be fighting? You don't have any issues with us fighting back against these com- these countries and that tariff our goods, but. Uh, Basically, violate violate our, our, the agreements that we have with them and stuff. Yeah, and I hope I hope sure. Trump. Uh, I hope Trump up ends the uh, WTC. I hope he just leaves it. He hope, just oh the, the United World States. Trade Organization. WT WTO. Sorry. No, it's okay. So, uh, Danny, does that answer your questions, or do we miss you? No, no, that answers that answers my question. Um, a lot of that I do agree with. Um, I just, I think back to you guys' original question that talked us to go down this rabbit hole. I still believe 
and I kind of have to believe because that's just who I am, that we were at the brink of falling off. We got different leadership, and I believe it did a direct UE to going back the right direction. But with, like David said earlier, um, along with that, something that he said about now I forgot how he said things. Dang it. Dang it, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> we, I'm going to paraphrase because I can't remember. Well, we may be going in the right direction right now, but it's not going to last very long. I happen to think if enough people see that we are going in the right direction, that it will start voting to keep us going that way. Because we've seen we've seen leadership that looked like they were doing really good, but was actually really pissed poor. And now we have, again, some really good leadership that is doing a lot of really good things behind the scenes that a lot of people don't know about, but is just passing a ton of stuff and doing a lot of really good things for the nation in general. Um, I, I'd like to, I'd like to believe that my, my grandchildren will enjoy some of the freedoms that we voted in. Well, well, I think, I mean, that, that's, that, I, I like, I mean, some of the stuff that you say, I, I mean, I, I can see where you're coming from on that. I, my, my biggest problem is that uh, one of the things that I have to point out is that as long as we continue to import hundreds of thousands, if not millions of shitholers a year into the United States, that you cannot hope to keep the United States from turning into a shithole itself. No, well, and so sure. one, of the, well, one of the issues that we have, one of the reasons why we're having so many problems with going the wrong direction is because a lot of people want to come to the United States because it's a wealthy nation. And when they get here, they start trying to force the United States to behave like the shithole they came from. And, and that's part of the problem. They, they don't have a clue as to what it is, that, the reason why the United States is wealthy. And, and because of that, they come here and, and they, they think that it's just, once again, these myths of white privilege and supremacy and uh, you know all these United States stole things from the rest of the world, and that's the reason it's so wealthy. And just on and on, all these myths and all these ideas that, that we're setting on all this unearned wealth. And that's one of the reasons why that they're fucking everything up is because they don't have a clue how it got this way. They well, think it got this way because we're mean. No, and the other side of that is, if we go back, sorry, no, no, it's okay. We go back to Soros and what he said, and what the Democrats believe about immigration. This is going to be a throwback to, uh, I think, what was it like, six hundred eight, six hundred. I think. Uh, This is going to be a throwback to the six hundred. Uh, year 600 when the caliphate started and how the Muslims were able to take over all these countries was just to occupy them and then turn them Muslim I think in a roundabout way that's kind of what they're trying to do they're trying to flood the United States with all these different countries and at a rate that they're not able to actually assimilate like when the Europeans came over the Europeans, they kind of had to. 
they had to assimilate. We had a small enough number that they had to assimilate into being, a, in air quotes, Americans. And I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to flood the United States with as many people with immigration so that the United States almost loses its, um, its um, what am I trying to say? Its identity? Um, yeah. To stabilize, to stabilize its position? Yeah. They're trying to destabilize the American, the actual true American position, and they just throw all these different cultures at it to make it more confusing when I think that's kind of, it's kind of the Democrats and Soros's. That's kind of their plan, because then they can come back and be the heroes on the white horse. I in the end, but we all we all know that the liberalism. You know, everybody's so mean. Let's make people be nicer, and it goes further and further and further, and eventually eats itself and destroys itself. Well, well, I think I mean, I don't. I think that's a good point. I think they do. They would like to be able to see everything collapse, and we're here to save you. I think that that was the whole idea of Obama's eight years. Excuse me, was that the United States is in decline, and look, the Democrats are here to help you through it. But at the same time, um, one of the positions that I have taken all along, okay, and, and I'm. There are very few people in the United States. Let's just, let's just point this out: that are pure, purely ethnically European. All of us have some have some genetic, some DNA from different ethnic groups. We just do. All right, I'm no different. I'm anywhere from three to to ten to ten percent Native American. Still trying to figure that out. I know for a fact it's at least three percent, but it may be a little bit more than that. Um. But the the problem here is, is that when you is that we know also one of the things that we're finding out now is that cultures are actually related to the identity of the indigenous people that create the culture, and that identity is partially determined by who we are, the environment we've developed in for the last twenty thousand, thirty thousand, forty thousand years, the types of uh, obstacles we'd had to overcome to survive as a people, and when you take a bunch of people and cram them together. You screw that whole identity thing up. If the United, I mean, well, all you have to do is look at what's happened to the Native Americans in the United States. There's very few Native Americans, even tribal members, who are even half Native American anymore, right? And so that culture is almost gone. So if you start flooding, if you start flooding the United States with tons of people from other nations bringing in, all, we're going to lose our identity permanently. At the, some point. The, Native, the Native Americans on the reservations and stuff, they pretty mm-hmm. much stick to their own. Um, from yeah, the, but, they, a lot they, of they, but they speak English most of the time. They deal. Um, they have to deal with. They have to deal with Europeans. They they are plagued by problems that aren't even their own. They're European problems. I mean, alcohol and drugs. That's yeah. that's not something Native Americans would have done on their own. They never did. That, that, no, came that came by from, way of dealing with Europeans. Our drug problem, that's how this is dumb. Another rabbit hole. Our drug problem came straight from <laughs> Vietnam. Uh, our drug problem here in the United Yeah, because Ho Chi Minh said, hey, I'm going to take the monkey and put it on your back, and I'll destroy you that away. Yeah, but I mean, Native, 
Native Americans started having problems pretty quick as soon as they were introduced to alcohol. I mean, they'd never had it yeah. before. And their yeah, system really no is good. not designed to cope with it very well. No, it's not any good at all. The closest thing that and they had. And they're lactose intolerant. Toast intolerant, yeah. They had, yeah, was, uh, was uh, peyote and marijuana. That was about all they had. Right. Right. So you introduce them to these things. So, so that's what I'm saying is that you know, that's a genetic difference between because, because they didn't have 10, 15, 20,000 years to develop any sort of tolerance for, for sugar-based alcoholic beverages, you know. They didn't yeah. have that. So I guess now what we can actually thank is the Vikings and the, and the English and the <laughs> mead is the root of all evil. Can we agree about this? Did you, mead was did a you say mead-eating? Mead. Mead. The drink. <laughs> Mead, honey wine, it's, yeah, it's the root yeah. of evil. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, Sorry, I, I, I just think though that I get no, no. I just think that I guess my point is is that if you want to see a culture, if you want to see a a fair, we've become a fairly unique pan. We were a pan European culture. We had some minorities mixed in, like for instance, I was talking about some of my Native American heritage. I mean, none of very few of us are pure, but I'm. I consider my. I mean, I call myself white. I check all the boxes. I don't really go to anything else. That's all I've ever known, and and I'm ninety percent British. So so I think I think that we have a fairly unique Western culture in the United States, and I think it's being destroyed. I think it's being undermined and destroyed. As, as with um, so, Stefan. Well, as what um, Stefan Molyneux said. Um, if you import the third world into the first world, you don't get the first world. You get the third world. Right. Yep. And if you think about it, um, what we have right now is not American culture. What we have right what, now. What would you call it? Well, it's a frontier culture that arises from de- from trying to destroy another person and get them out of what we wanted. So, I mean, if oh, you are you talking at, about where we settled in, settled in at, at lands where there were a lot of native Americans and stuff? Yeah. I mean, so yes, it wasn't as bad as Europe. We weren't under the religious things and we could do what we wanted to. And during mm-hmm. the, and during the first, you know, hundred years of the United States, what were we? We were a bunch of, well, Petulant children that we just got our <laughs> new thing. And we got our new thing, and we got to grow up now. So, does this mean right. that when our culture here in what we call the United States, when we get to the point where we've been a society for a thousand years, are we then going to grow into uh, the European mindset a thousand years ago? I, I don't know, uh, Danny, because I mean, essentially, we were in that mindset. With I mean, we were British up until the Revolutionary War, and they they pretty much considered themselves to be Englishmen up until that point. And uh, I, I think that I mean, if you look at Britain, they had an empire that covered twenty five percent of the planet. It was the empire that the sun never set upon. Right. Uh, so, so I think that the the idea of manifest destiny and and trying to Go, you know, cover from coast to coast. I think that was very British mind, a very British mindset. Um, but at the same time, at the, well, at the same time, 
you know, we um, they, one of the things that people are fond of saying right now, and, and it's just absolutely a falsehood. The United States was founded by an, it's a nation of immigrants, founded by immigrants. It's a big melting pot. People only used the melting pot metaphor since the late 70s, first of all. Second of all, we weren't, we weren't founded by immigrants. We were, we were founded by settlers. Who came, immigrants come to something from, some, from, from somewhere else. Settlers came to no civilization. I mean, the people who were here, they had their own culture and they had villages and things, but they didn't have civil, modern type civilization. They, they didn't have all of the accoutrements that you find in Great, you would have found in Great Britain in 1750s. But so right. they, and, and a lot of the United States had nothing there at all. It was just arboreal wilderness. Okay, there was just nothing there. So, so these were settlers who came to, for the most part, nothing, and made something there. And then they got what into about, fights with the, with the natives and stuff. But so it's a very big difference between you, you can't really compare the people who came here and founded the United States to immigrants who are flooding our our nation now and getting on welfare rolls and trying to change things over to their way of thinking. Well, well, just remember it's it's okay because it's free. <laughs> it's free to, to them. <laughs> oh, and uh, and to the original topic when you guys were talking about uh, the Supreme Court and everything that he's going through, um, mm-hmm. my my timid young lady happened to say, "Oh, all of that's BS." By the way. It is about um, I figured about everybody getting accused of everything. It's it's the new it's that democratic playbook that I mentioned earlier. It's it's what's been well, working for Well, those people that listen, I know you know I they, I know you personally. I know Cindy, your your wife personally. I I kind of had a feeling that she felt that way. Um, yeah, you know, it's it the, is BS. It's the playbook. It's the playbook that they have. Where okay. Uh, Republicans are evil. They're going to take your your grandparents and throw them off a bridge. They're going to take everything that they've worked really hard all their life away from them, and they're going to take women's rights away, and they're going to push us into the Stone Ages. That's the playbook they come out with. Oh, and by the way, they're all rapists and murderers, but at the same time, what you guys are talking about with the media, there are right now uh, another 12 Democrats that are running that have actual real allegations, and a couple of them have a even a couple of outstanding court cases about sexual harassment, and the media doesn't say a word about those. They get a free pass. Well, we'll see. Okay, so David, David, something that we we talk about. I mean, we're we talk about critical. Th- you and I talk about critical theory and all this stuff all the time. And it, I had an episode back where we had Kasha Vickis on. Uh, Episode this season episode three for season two is the last episode, and one of the things mm-hmm. I said was I don't think that that um, things today look in a way that even the critical theorists uh, would have expected. How do you think? I mean, so you've done some reading on on these guys like Marcuse and Frome and so on. What do you think? How do you think these guys would have felt about the way that their idea, their philosophy, is being used? For for political gain, it's almost like it's it's almost like they're 
they're using it for political capital to use against their enemies, and I don't think that that was necessarily what was being what was intended by those guys. Do you? Like, uh, as a major gain to to get uh, just to affect the culture, or well, they're, they're basically um, using it in a very shallow way. They're, they don't really. I mean, they they don't actually really care about. The, the politicians and, and these groups of people, it's all a big power play. They, they don't actually subscribe. I get this strange sort of feeling. They don't actually subscribe to all these views because if you were to apply the way that uh, evenly across society, uh, the, the kinds of stuff they do about um, women's issues and exploitation and ali- you know how people are alienated and oppressed and all this, if you were to apply it to them just the same way you – like for instance how they're applying it to Brett Kavanaugh right now, it would be a bloodbath politically. So I guess I guess I mean how do you think that the, those guys that were doing critical theory would feel about the way politicians are using their ideas now? I mean, they're essentially they've they've co-opted these ideas, but they're not. They don't. I don't think they actually are sincere in their belief of them. They're just using it as a political instrument to try and pummel their enemies and get their way. I mean, do, do you see that, or is that just me? Uh. I think uh, someone like uh, Frome, I think he would be appalled, but maybe a few others on the uh, from the Frankfurt School uh, would be applauding it actually, because they like who? Uh, like, who do you think would be applauding it? Name a few names. I would probably probably think uh, someone like Marcusa. Uh, he okay. would probably he, he, if. If he would think his philosophy had any effect, it would that would be okay. Like from from actually had a few more principles. He like if it if it's uh, not being implemented right, then it's uh, not psychoanalysis at all. He would probably come to that conclusion. While Marcuse would be different. What do you think about Habermas, Jurgen Habermas? Do you think he would support it? Or do you think he would be against it? Habermas, uh, he's pretty radical. I don't know. That doesn't mean he would support this. He may not. You don't know. He may not. It's interesting that you say that you think that Herbert Marcuse. It's interesting that you think that you say that Herbert Marcuse would be okay with it. And see, you know what I think is really messed up is that Soros. You know who Soros' mentor was. We we use this guy's philosophy all the time. There we go. Yeah, it was uh, it was uh, Karl Popper. Yeah, that's right. Karl Popper is the guy who 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 uh, threw out there who who laid out the definition of what pseudoscience and what's real science, and uh, you know, like astrology pseudoscience, but astronomy's astronomy's real science. So if you can't if you can't if there if you can't think of a way in which you can test a, a theory. And it would be it would turn up false, then it's pseudoscience. And so I think uh, uh, I think Popper would not support this type of behavior. I don't think he would support Soros's behavior because Popper um, was not the kind of guy. I mean, he started out as a communist and then ditched communism because of that type of thinking. So, mm-hmm. but uh, I mean, did you find that sort of shocking though? That Soros' mentor was Karl Popper. Um, it's a way that uh, for Soros to say, 
See, look, the the right can't uh, pick on me. I got a one of one of their influences, right? Which Karl <laughs> Popper was a big fan, big friend of a bunch of economists in the Austrian school. So, so uh, Danny, so like Karl Popper. Ludwig von Mises was an economist from the Austrian school, and almost all of the Austrians on the libertarian side, the people who think in terms of free markets and stuff, are descent, you know they think they've read read Mises and think about him. Well, he was like super close friends with Karl Popper, and George Soros is Karl Popper's protege, so he's his he's his he was his apprentice. What do you think about that? There's libertarian roots in George Soros. Well, how do the rich get rich? They use elaborate. What do you mean? Well, they use the laws that are put out there to get rich with people. People moan and bake about um, the rich putting money in offshore accounts. We have tax. Well. It's just because they take advantage of what's there, you know. Right. So, um, it doesn't surprise me that how many times have we seen um, proteges and apprentices turn against what their what their their learnings were because, well, they know better than the teacher. So, in a lot of times through society, you know, there's been monks that have gone out on their own to say, oh, you know, what the monks are teaching are bad. There's been English, old English kings whose sons, when they choose to become king, they run things totally different because, well, their dad didn't know anything was going on. So time and time again, you do see the person who is quite full of themselves go out and do the exact opposite of what they were trained. Because you know what, man, that is that is some pretty that is some pretty fucking tight analysis right there. I mean that that is some good shit. What do you think, David? Um, George Soros is Palpatine. Yeah, well, that's why I see. I see uh, Soros is. I was getting ready to say Darth Vader, trained as a Jedi. But don't you th- don't you think that that was that Danny's Danny's analysis of yeah. that? Don't you think that was some tight shit, man? That was some good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pa- Palpatine was trained by a uh, going Star Wars talk here. Uh, Palpatine was trained by trained by his uh, master to cheat death. Yet he was yet he killed his master. Yeah, well, and then uh, but Anakin Skywalker was a Jedi who then turned on his own master and switched sides and became a, a Darth Vader. So. I think I think uh, Soros is kind of, almost kind of like Darth Vader in a way. <laughs> he's almost like Darth Vader. He's, he's, kind of, he's kind of he's kind of like Palpatine. <laughs> you know, he actually kind I of looks like the guy who played Vader in the Return of the Jedi when the guy took his finally took the mask yeah. off. He got that look under his eyes and stuff. He kind of actually looks sort of like Vader, doesn't he? Yeah, he kind of does. Well, and see, that's another question. Here's here's another question along with that. So we talk about countries, we talk about small groups of people, and there's a learning curve. Um, I forgot who said it. Everybody, when they're 20, they should be basically uh, liberals. 
because they should yeah, if have. You're not, if you're not liberal, if you're not liberal yeah. when you're when you're in your teens and early early on, then you have no heart. Right. And what was the rest of that? If you're not conservative by the time you're like 35 or 40, then you have no brain. Okay, so here's what I'm curious about, and what I kind of want to ask you, what I was kind of getting at earlier, do you think that same theory applies to a society? So when we were young, here, when our immigrants came here, or when we populated the United States, we were young and we were like children and we started growing. And after being here a while, like around the Civil War, we had this whole this whole liberal thing that really happened. And then does does in a longer timeline of course, but then does the country get more conservative and then after that they get old and just get tired of fighting and give up and then it goes back to to communism? Is that a I don't know because it's 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 old Europe. Oh, maybe I don't know. It's old Europe that that is doing. I mean, that has went off the deep end, pretty much replacing themselves with with foreigners rather than just figuring out you know supporting policies that result in more children being born. So uh, the United States is is in actuality, the United States is more conservative than than Europe. Right, but we're also a lot younger of a country. So does that mean when we get older, we'll Flip the switch and go to communism or back to liberalism, David. Thoughts? No, David. The, if if what if <laughs> he was he was he's he's probably uh, going to sleep on us over there, David. What's uh, he was no, saying no, that? No, no. Tonight I'm messing with you, David. Um, what Danny's saying is is that. You know, uh, he's talking. He, he's almost using an analysis of a, of a, trying to apply an analysis of a human being as they start from young and become older. You know, they mature. You know, are we gonna are we gonna go communist when we get when we get older as a nation? Or are we gonna go more liberal, like back to classical liberalism? You know, what 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 will we look like down the road? What do you think? Well, we're I think we're actually kind of kind of. If not all the way in line with critical theory, the culture. It's just it's just the way you it do. is right now. Well, I kinda have the tendency to think that we haven't had our, our totalitarian phase yet. Most of the European uh, nations at some point or another have had one. Uh you look at France, you look at even Britain under Cromwell, he was he was very authoritarian. France under Napoleon, Germany under Hitler, uh, Italy under Mussolini. You and I can look at every one of these European nations. They all have a very authoritarian or a totalitarian uh, regime at some point or another, and we haven't had that yet. Not not fully, not really, not not in that vein. Let me ask. Let me let me ask you this then: Would you say that a dialectical uh, view of history is true? Well, okay, so when you say dialectical, are you talking about the Hegelian, like where you have these two sets of history where one is your thesis, you know, the main thesis that's what where you're at right now, and then you have this antithesis which conflicts with the way society is, and they collide, and they sort of create something new or synthesize a new society out of the two opposing points of view? Is that is that what we're talking about? 
maybe that, or I was wondering about the Marxist view of history. The material, the material forces theory, where where basically um, all of history is a, where you have basically a thesis about, like first you have capitalism and socialism, and they collide, and you end up with a, a something new that comes out of that, like a third way or a synthesis. You know, this new this new way of thinking, which is very similar to the other one. Um, I don't a hundred percent subscribe to it. I can see where it can you can it's easy to look at history and come up with examples all over the place and that's the beauty of a pseudoscience is that there's no way to really falsify it there's no really way to there's no real evidence for it or against it and it's easy to come up with with uh examples and analogies all through history. I don't know that I really necessarily um subscribe to that i I think that I don't. I, I, my personal opinion is is that societies go through phases, and a lot of it has to do with dealing with external factors. And right now, the external factors that we're dealing with is mass migration from from people who do not resemble our current ethnic majority, and I believe that propel, has a tendency to propel us towards more authoritarian type of thinking. Is that good or bad? I think I think when you are being, when you are under assault from all sides by people who do not resemble you at all, that it's natural for human beings to to get nervous about that. They see their group cha- their their group power structures all changing around them, and they don't like that. People don't like change. It's like I think that that yeah, spurs like, authoritarianism. They want to stop it. It's reactionary. We want to stop that. And, and the Democrats, yeah, they, uh, the shit libs, they have this outgroup preference like no other. It's a slave morality thing. It goes back to slave morality. Well, you know that that one of the things that they say that they've done some studies on this that that makes it one of the big differences between Democrats, dump Democrats, liberals, and, and Republicans, liberals and conservatives. I hear you laughing, Danny. Um, is that liberals? have less their disgust reflex is much much lower much much less responsive so they are disgusted it's a lot harder to disgust a leftist than it is a rightist that's one of the things that makes a conservative conservative so for instance you start talking about things like they're trying to normalize pedophilia right now your disgust ref- we're all disgusted by that but liberals see leftists what we call liberals, like we really should just call them leftists because I think it's wrong to call them liberals. But leftists seem to try to start, have already started coming out with ways to try and normalize it because it's not disgusting them. So we, I, and I think that that we get disgusted by by other societies to, with certain sorts of practices. Well, that has to do like with female the, genital female genital mutilation being one of them. That has to do with lowering morality. That was one of the things about liberalism that helped us to destroy itself in a loop. You know, they're always constantly going to be the the angle of, well, this isn't that bad. This isn't that bad. This isn't that bad. Until most of us are going, are you kidding me? That's freaking horrible. Well, no, not really. That's how that's how liberalism ends up destroying itself. 
because it makes it so there is no moralities at all. And then it turns into chaos and anarchy. Well, they're always Maybe. trying to come up with ways to, to justify to justify uh, those types of, of what I consider mm-hmm. to be degenerate behaviors. Wouldn't you say, David, that's yeah. one of their things? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they they do that. Uh, I think it's uh, – I don't know how, how it's gotten that way when it used to be different just 60 years ago. Yep. Well, remember, I think it's remember, it used to be bad for women to show any skin in the United States, and for a long time on TV, they couldn't show cleavage. Well, considering where we're at now, and the type of things that we have running rampant through our society, I'm not so sure that was a bad idea. A lot of women would be like, oh, They'd be unhappy to hear me say that, but let me just point some things out. Uh, um, my, my personal opinion on this is that uh, it, it's not so much the idea of showing cleavage that's bad, because believe me, I'm I'm a man, so that that's not that's never going to upset me necessarily. The issue that I have is when women dress a certain way and then become upset because people because men are looking at them. And so on. So, so on one hand, they want a lot of women talk about, you know, I should be able to dress this way, I should be able to do these certain things. And then when men, who, which we're we're all animals, we have, there are biological realities to our existence. When men's behavior, which is essentially a reaction to some of that, uh, changes and becomes, in some ways, it provo- it's kind of provocative for some men. I mean, we're not all equal, but. You know, when men say certain things, act a certain way, then the women are upset. So if you go to the office and you're wearing a skirt that's just barely below the bottom line of your buttocks, and you're wearing a blouse that's split open nearly to your belly button, and you're walking around the office that way, and let's say you're in an office full of men, you're right. You 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 shouldn't have to worry about somebody forcing themselves on you necessarily. But at the same time, you shouldn't be upset when they're looking at you, nor should you think it's unreasonable that some of them might ask you out on the date. So I think I think that that if we, I think that women should be able to wear what they want, but they need to be reasonable in their expectations of how men behave. That, I think that's, that's where I'm great going. Great, and you're mansplaining. And my man's well, then good. I'm gonna man fucking splain all night if that's the case. Well, I tell you what, from one of the women listening to you, she went, "Hmm, that's reasonable." <laughs> yeah, I, that, and I appreciate. It. I've always go ahead. No, I, I mean women should be able to dress how they want, but I agree. You also have to have. The smarts to decide where you're going, what you're going to be doing, what other people are going to be doing. If you're going to be going to a drunk ass party, don't drunk, <laughs> don't drunk like a whore. I'm sorry. Joe, no, no, no. and and you're not a man, so that's not mansplaining. 
I mean, I was a teenager once. I dressed sort of sexy but more conservative because I knew what I was going to be around. But if I'm going to sure. wear a skirt up to my butt and my boobs hanging out with a, you know, little bitty T-shirt, you know that somebody's going to try to get something off. And the right. drunker they are, I mean, sometimes the more they get animalistic. I mean, shoot, I've had guys put their hands on me and all kinds of crap when I was growing up, too. doesn't mean that 30 years down the line I'm going to call him up and say, hey, that guy jumped on me. <laughs> I mean, come on. Right. Be reasonable. If you're a 15-year-old, 15 years old, I knew men were like that. So boys, especially boys who can't control what they, most of them, not all of them, but most of them can't control themselves when they get excited. So you either punch them, knee them, or you have people there around you all the time where they will not do that. Be reasonable, women. Well, I think that's I think that's a pretty reasonable way of putting. It. I mean, you, you have to you have that's that's one of the problems. I think we are as a society we're having a hard time setting our expectations about certain things. You know, and I'm not saying there's never a case in which it's okay for a man to force himself on a woman. There's, it's never okay. That's not okay. It doesn't matter who you are or where it's at. Well, a woman but, knows that if she got up and now she dresses. How men are going to whistle at her unless she's ugly. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, that stuff's going to happen. And right, so you have to set your expectations properly. The guy going to nail that night. And I'm sorry women think about that, too. Yeah. <laughs> No, you're right, and so I think that's why I say I think that that we as a society we need to set our we need to teach our children to set their expectations properly. If you're going to dress a certain way, you you should expect that men are going to gawk at you, or that they're going they may even say something to you or ask you out on a date. But if you you know, and the thing I really think about is women have sons nowadays. Your sons to be gentlemen, but even they can still be accused. Oh, that that guy grabbed my boobs. Might have been an accident. He, I mean, it's happened before. It doesn't always. You just keep your arms to your side when you're walking around and stuff like that. Things happen. Sure. But now these women. I mean, women. These women who are going around screaming about, oh, this guy touched me. This guy said this to me. Somebody cornered me. Oh, somebody, you know, you need to really worry about what you're putting your sons up for because it's eventually going to get to the point that every man in this country, every male in this country is going to be accused of looking at you the wrong way. And what are you going to do? Throw them all in jail? Ruin their lives? I mean, where does it They think. Well, apparently, we think that that uh, whatever you do at 15 years old, you know, we, we need to investigate keggers. So, what you do when you're drunk at a kegger party, we need to. We're gonna. If you were up for the for the Supreme Court of the United States, we're gonna bring in the FBI to investigate a kegger that nobody can remember 35 years ago. Well, he yeah. he touched he touched me while we were drunk at a kegger. 
Yeah. And how many guys, are, how many people drunk are going to remember that? <laughs> yeah, I will. Well, I mean, well, none of the people that they're calling as witnesses. Well, right, none of the people they're they calling as witnesses can remember crazy. any of it, so. His reputation is going to get ruined because one woman said, oh, he touched me, or he tried to kiss me, or he put his arm yeah. around me, or his hand uh-huh. touched my book. Okay? Right. From the second woman well. accusing him of showing himself at a party, but nobody remembers that, <laughs> but she's the only one. Well, now, like I said, according to, according to the Democrats, we need to get the FBI uh-huh. in there to investigate these keggers. Yeah, they need to. Kegger parties, right? Like right. The FBI doesn't have anything to do already. <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying really hard to cover up this thing with Trump. But, you know, they got better things to do is go out and investigate <laughs> kegger parties. Yeah, Might as well knock them down to Yeah. Uh, so. well, I can't well, what I did 35 years ago. That's right. That's the same way. But we're down to about ten minutes here. We're getting close to the end as to qualify. So, David, what do you think about that? Do we think about having the FBI investigate kegger parties from thirty-five years ago, high school keggers? That would be absolutely ridiculous and hilarious too. Can you imagine how much money that costs? Yes, uh, we'd like to speak to you about a kegger party that uh, you know, were supposedly you're, you're at thirty-five average. years ago. Your average, average non-activist what? judge, your a, your average judge would just throw that case out and be like, "I don't even want to look at this. Get it <laughs> out of my face." <laughs> I just, it's just how would you really sit down and you look at it, you put it into perspective, how ridiculous this is. You want to investigate what kids? You want to investigate well, the occurrences amongst high school kids at a kegger party back in the eighties. It gets more interesting than that, Cliff. Where, where she said, I forget the county, but in that area where all these schools are at, they fall into uh-huh. three different counties. And the one county that she said that it happened in is the one county that there is no limitation on prosecuting sexual activities. The other two counties that should be Washington, D.C., <laughs> which is Washington, D.C., and Virginia, they all have a, a seven-year term limit on it. But the county that – the other county doesn't have one. I'm just saying, totally coincidental, right? Jesus. Jesus. I mean, come on. I mean, we've got Rod Rosenstein trying to figure out ways to wear a wire to catch the president so they can invoke the, – and then trying to convince – People to invoke the Twenty Fifth Amendment. He's he's resigning now, and we've got Mueller investigating the president over trumped up charges. Now we've got the Democrats bringing in trumped up charges against the Supreme Court nominee, and they want to ha- call and they're screaming for the FD, FBI to inve- investigate these these kegger parties. And I mean, is there? I mean, it's almost like a comedy. It's almost like a comedy movie, like a comedy show. It's 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 ridiculous. It's all to stop Congress from passing any laws that need to be passed and to keep everything up in arms until the election. 
so that they can vote yeah. in Democrats. That's what the whole hype and crap is all about. Is there's everything off until the uh, next election in November so that they can all get into office, which they think is going to happen. Which I, hopefully, I, hopefully they're pissing off Republicans so much that every damn Republican in this country will show up to vote that day. <laughs> well, I have, like I said, I have a feeling uh, uh, that, and I just want to say it's always cool. We we bring Denny's on the show. We get two for one, and we get a woman's perspective, which I love. I mean, it's fantastic to have Cindy uh, do some commentary on here for us. Uh, but uh, I, I, th- I think the. The, the the thing here is is that we keep it in perspective. I don't think they're going to be as successful as they think they are. And, and some of the indications I see is there was a special election for a state senator in Texas that's been held by a Democrat for almost 40 years, and it was taken by a Republican last week. Uh, I I really think that this is not going to be their show this year. I don't believe they're going to get what they want. I I think that they're they're done. At least for the time being, I, I really don't. And, I, and I, I believe that the percentage points that they say Democrats have of taking back Congress, I think it's trumped up. I don't believe it. I think they're they're quoting numbers that are best case scenario type stuff and acting as though it's the norm that that it's not the best case scenario that it's that's the regular scenario, which is what they did under Trump versus Hillary. Well, they did it under Trump so, versus that, Hillary. They did it both times under Obama. They did it mm-hmm. with. Uh, Clinton, you know, Bush, they did it with Bush. They've done it since, well, since Party. They've been doing that, haven't they, hon? Oh, I didn't give it to Oh. <laughs> well, David, do you, uh, what do you think, David? Do you think, do you think the Democrats are going to take back? I mean, of course we could be wrong, but I mean, who cares? We, this is just your feeling right now, David. Where do you think it's at as far as the, the uh, this coming election uh, in about a month and a half? I mean, do you think that do you think uh, that the Democrats are going to take the House or the Senate or both? Uh, I think we're going to gain a few more seats. The Republicans. Um, I think that. Um, I think even if Republicans take over for two decades, it's still not. It's still gonna. Uh, we're set in motion because of the economic system and the past decisions of Democratic leaders. Um, was we put our whole system on credit? We put our whole system on uh, this tax system where we're still. We're paying for people to come here. We're paying for people who cross the border and their welfare. And we're tied to China. And we're uh, still paying for the um, road system that was established in the 1950s. We have no solution to Social Security, and people are required to have Social Security. It's a big mess. Nice points. Yeah, I know we were going to talk about exploitation and alienation and oppression. I think we've done plenty of talk, though, about the ridiculousness of a lot of the oppression and exploitation claims. And maybe in a roundabout way, you can see how a lot of people, you know, we won't go into alienation. We could almost do an entire show on alienation. But 
I think I think you're right. I, I do agree with you a lot on that, and it's sad. I know that Danny has maybe some some different feelings about it, but um, overall, I, I I think that where we're at is where we're at, and and we we might be able to stave them off, hopefully for a couple of generations. But I think inevitably we're headed down we're headed down that path, whether we like it or not. But we're down to about three minutes and. 48 seconds. Um, I just wanted to say I appreciate uh, you coming on tonight, Danny. We had Elliot on earlier. We're pre- we're thank you to him. But thank you, Danny, for coming on and staying on with us to have this discussion. It's been a really good discussion tonight. And thank you, Cindy, for being a part of the discussion as well. Uh, David, as always, I always appreciate your thoughts and your commentary. I mean, we've been talking doing this show now for, since last year. Uh, talking for longer than that, but um, anyway, uh, I just wanted to let everybody know that the people that listen to the podcast again, we're on Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, MyTune Radio, uh, Podchaser, FM.Player, and iTunes, as well as our primary platform, which is Blog Talk Radio. So that being said, uh, one last, you got you, 30 seconds to or so, David, for a quick hit. Any points or anything you want to throw in there before we go? No. You there, David? There's, there's really like no, nothing more to say about the outlook. <laughs> <laughs> Not good. Danny, uh, thirty minutes, quick hit there before we go. Thirty seconds. Um. Yeah. I, in my heart of hearts, I have to believe that things are going to be getting better. If not, then why am I here, and why am I as conservative as I am, and why do I teach my children to be that way so they can carry on the throne, the flame of conservatism? Mm-hmm. You know, if if it's, well, a, if it's a wash, then why am I fighting so hard? You know? I got you. So I, I got believe, you. Well, I have to believe that it's going to be okay. All right. Well, thank you. Good point. Uh, anyway, everybody take care. Have a good night. Get a chance to listen to Jared House, so to speak. It's a good podcast. Take care, everybody. Good night. Close all university departments for black, Latino, women, gender, queer studies, and so forth as incompatible with science and dismiss its faculties as intellectual imposters or scoundrels. As well, demand that all affirmative action commissars, diversity and human resource officers from universities on down to schools and kindergartens be thrown out onto the street and be forced to learn some useful trade. Six, crush the anti-fascist mob. The transvaluation of all values throughout the West, the invention of ever more victim groups, the spread of affirmative action programs, and the relentless promotion of political correctness has led to the rise of an anti-fascist mob, tacitly supported and indirectly funded by the ruling elites. This self-described mob of social justice warriors has taken upon itself the task of escalating the fight against white privilege through deliberate acts of terror directed against anyone and anything deemed racist, right-wing, fascist, reactionary, incorrigible, or unreconstructed. Such enemies of progress are physically exhausted, but 